Funding for WPLN News comes from you, our listeners, and Bernstein Private Wealth, working with creators and innovators to invest with intention and build the legacy they want to leave behind. More at Bernstein.com. I'm Khalil A. Colonna, and this is Nashville. Each weekday at noon, you'll find me here on 90.3 FM or WPLN.org. This is Nashville as our brand new daily show here at WPLN News. We'll go deeper on the news of the day and bring you perspectives you didn't know you were missing. Join us as we journey into the identity of our city and region. Last August, torrential rains led to a deadly flood that decimated Humphreys County, about 70 miles to our west. The small town of Waverly was one of the hardest hit places. Homes and businesses were destroyed and 20 people lost their lives. We wanted to take time to check in after the fact. Just over six months later, how is the community holding up? Joining me now is WPLN reporter Damon Mitchell. Damon, welcome to This is Nashville. Hello, how's it going? I'm doing well. How are you, my friend? I'm good. Glad to be here. Thank you for being with us. Now, you've been covering this story since August, and I'm sure a lot has changed since then. So tell us what you've seen. So now, if you were to go in Waverly now, um, you'll see a, a lot of volunteers out um, still. Kind of during the beginning months, um, there were a lot of volunteers, but a lot of people left during the holiday. So now, as spring is coming back, you'll see a lot more people out. Um, some people have rebuilt their homes. Some people are kind of back in the town. Um, some people are still trying to figure things out. And then there are also places where um, it looks like nothing has changed. Um, there are some apartment buildings that are still damaged, um, some businesses that haven't fully reopened. But you also have businesses who are um, probably 90 to 100 percent in operation right now. Now, in your story, you spoke with Waverly resident Gretchen Turner. She said that the decision to rebuild or to move to another town was a difficult one to make. Tell me, what difficulties did they face when rebuilding the Turner family? It's just kind of living through a disaster and, and just watching watching your home kind of just float away from you um not that their home literally floated away but they they did lose their home um it's kind of like do you the, the family they're not a rich family they're fairly middle class so do you invest all this money to rebuild your home when flooding is likely to happen again um and then, but there's also on the other end, it's like, how can you just up and leave a place where um, your children grew up, you have a lot of friends and family. And also Gretchen Turner is really, um, she's like a, always picture her as like a local celebrity. Wherever she goes, mm. there's somebody saying hi. So it's kind of like hard just to kind of up and leave that. It's going to be a really difficult decision. How is the family doing now? Um, so they've moved in to a, a home it's not their so their big home is still being rebuilt but they turned their garage into an apartment and um so far they've been kind of like just really excited just to be back in their own space they were staying with the family friend for a while um but now yeah they're trying to just kind of regain that sense of normalcy that they had the daughter who's a a high schooler she's she's in her senior year and the last time i spoke with her she was just really excited just to have her own space and, you know, that she can just kind of be a a senior again and kind of look forward to prom and all those things and not have to worry about other things. I mean, with the pandemic and the flood, that has to make it really tough for a high school senior. Yeah, she was like 
super excited to have like this normal year of high school and then the flood hit and now it's like it's kind of the pandemic is still going on but you also add on this other layer of where am I going to live like I'm living in this stranger's home who my parents know but I don't really know so it was kind of a adjustment for her mm-hmm. now Beth Lemming owns Vintage Treasures in Waverly her shop was affected by the floods and she told us that things have been difficult since let's listen what happened was we're indirectly hit by the flood. Um, we ended up with almost 50% of our vendors and consigners pretty much homeless, displaced, and then another handful that just had some damage. And the ones that had some damage have been working the hardest to help the ones that have absolutely nothing. I'd like to introduce our next guest. Another Waverly business owner, Ted Rice, is a florist who lives in Waverly. Ted, welcome to This is Nashville. Thank you. Can you relate to what we just heard from Beth? Oh, definitely. Uh, I live closer to the creek, uh, just two houses from the creek in a lower area, and uh, it got five feet in my house. Wow. Wow. Mm-hmm. Um, so how are you at this moment? Talk to me. Well, I'm waiting, uh, I'm waiting till it gets a little warmer, and uh, my house it will soon be 96 years old. And different crews came in and said, you had to rip this out. And I said, well, it's like this. If these 95-year-old floors go, I'm going too. Hmm. And so we dried them out. They all went back down. We cleaned under the house, had it all sprayed, the new vapor paper put down, and just waiting for it to get a little warmer. And my inside walls are horsehair plaster and concrete. And the gentleman that built the house in 1926 had a hotel in Florida, and he built it for his parents. He was originally from here. I think he built it for a hurricane, to be honest with you, because it's going to be fine once um, we've just got to clean and put in uh, a new bathroom floor. I had no subfloor through the rest of the house. And then base cabinets in the kitchen and repaint and uh, new plumbing and that's about it now how are are your neighbors having a tough time rebuilding? well uh one neighbor is building back the neighbor behind me they're they bulldoze his house down and he's starting from scratch starting this thursday about 150 workers are coming in on shifts to build this house i assume it's one of these houses they go up in a week, like Habitat does. And uh, the across the street and next to the creek, they have moved away. And the gentleman that lived catty-cornered at the, next to the creek, he died the week after the flood. Hmm. Because this was his second flood. When he bought the home, the homeowner told him the house had never flood. It did in 10. And in 19, he got flood, and he got back in 20, and then the flood this past August, and he died when he, when they, they had to get him out with the rescue boat, and he didn't live a week. Wow. So wow. it was very sad. Yeah, it's sad. Can yeah. you can you talk to me about people's spirits in the community? Where how are they feeling now? Well, a lot of them are impatient, and a lot of them are really mad at county government to the point of telling them off when they see them and um and it's just i think once it gets warmer 
in April, a lot of the rebuilders are coming back because the Church of Christ is going to house them and then feed them three meals a day. And they've continued this since the flood, three meals a day. And a lot of people that had nothing have nothing now. And that's the sad part. And government housing has, they've moved them. Some have gone to Texas, to Clarksville, to surrounding counties. And it's, and some won't, one lady was asked to move to, um, I believe it was St. Louis or somewhere, and she was scared to death, and she wouldn't go. Wow. And it's, and it's sad. But, you know, the citizens come first, and it, this was neglected in 10, when the Corps of Engineers told them how to save a school that got floodwaters up to the ceiling last August. And as I told several of them, if I was a millionaire, I would have built a levee from the viaduct to Clyden Road, which would have been as high as the railroad tracks and had a walking path on top. And then when the state came in to get to find me, I would say, well, it's a lot easier to say I'm sorry than please. Because hmm. you've got to move fast on some of this. And it's moving slow. Now, in conversations, are people in the community, you said that they're telling off, you know, county officials when well, they see them? They're yes, it's it's kind of, it's they're taking, a lot of people are going through the steps of anger, and, you know, they've gone back in their homes, they're mad because things weren't done, and the county executive has been yelled at, and the city mayor's taken a lot of heat off of citizens, because if this had happened on Friday, we would have lost a 1,000 school kids. And then, you know, every one of them would have been hanging in a tree around the courthouse because this is the rural part of Tennessee. And they're just really very upset that things are not moving faster. And they've started, some crews have started to clean the creek. And um, the state lifted that, TDEC, and they need to to get all that out because it's when you get to the edge of town that's county and they haven't picked up the trash the county hasn't the trash is still around that trash is on the road coming into waverly from McEwen. in McEwen, it's at different places that got flooded in the low areas and our county bridges uh have there they have taken where it washed out They've taken their they've put gravel in and they're going through the creek and going up and getting back on the road. They're not even repairing a bridge yet. Mm. Now we only have a little bit of time left, but Damon, you know, we were just talking about how Waverly is rural and we don't really cover that that much, but that's something we're beginning to do a lot more here and taking this approach at WPLN News. Talk to me about what's next for you as you continue to report on Waverly. What are you looking for? So definitely, as Ted just spoke to, um, kind of some of the, and I've also heard that, and, and obviously Ted is more close to this, but I've, I've heard that things are moving slow in Waverly. So um, kind of checking in on that process and next steps and what the state of Tennessee is going to do uh, about future flooding in Waverly. And then also, um, a lot of families were in Section 8 housings that were destroyed. So also trying to identify those people and getting in touch with them uh, to see how they're doing. Now, Ted, I want to leave this last moment for you. You know, what do you see for the future of Waverly? What are your hopes? Well, our current 
county executive is not running for re-election in August. And uh, we've got new candidates. We've got a candidate that is a businessman that would make an excellent county executive. Our mayor's not running for re-election next year. And our county executive balanced the budget, but when they leave, they're going to carry the tarnishment of the flood with them. But I think if we get the people's to want to build back, want to, we need more things to introduce. We need growth. We're becoming a ghost town. And we just need more businesses. We need small industry to come in that employs 100 people and to get a cash flow started. St. Thomas has just bought our hospital. They take over April 1st. That's a plus. And if we could just get people more interested and do more but right now everybody's still grieving and and it's and it's as i feel as the first of the year i'm over the flood let's get this thing rolling let's move forward because you can't go back well godspeed to you and the residents of waverly that is waverly resident ted rice he was joined by damon mitchell of wpln news thank you both for joining us we're going to take a quick break. When we come back, we sift through the popular thrifting and vintage cultures here in Nashville. Is there enough closet space for both to thrive? We pick up that discussion in a moment. This is Nashville. Khalil A. Colonna, and this is Nashville. Goodwill, the Salvation Army, and mom and pop secondhand stores are great places to score some cool, and this is important, cheap threads. The shirt that one person was totally done with is oftentimes exactly what someone else was looking for. Today's show is all about the local thrift and vintage scene. First, we want to talk about thrifting, something my first two guests know all about. Joining me now is Erin Gabriel. She is the social and digital media manager at Goodwill. Erin, welcome to This is Nashville. Thank you so much for having me. Thanks for being here. Also with us is thrifter and reseller Anita Smith. Anita, welcome to the show. Thank you for having me as well. Now, Anita, how long have you been thrifting? How did you first get into it? Um, there was a need. I had uh, two younger kids. Uh, when I was uh, right at 20, 21 years old, and I saw that I enjoyed, um, from previous years, thrifting. My family enjoyed going to the Goodwills back in the day, and I carried that and continued to thrift and uh, decorate my places that I lived, and I saw people making money and um, so this started when I was like 20, 21 years old, and I still continue today. Now, it sounds like thrifting was a necessity, am I right? It was a necessity. So what's thrifting like when it's what you can afford, when you want to you know, have clothes and buy things and you go to thrift stores to purchase those? Well, it's getting quality stuff the best for the buck. And uh, somebody else's trash is somebody else's treasures. I know this may sound a little harsh, but uh, there are so many diamonds in the rough uh, at thrift 
thrift stores and uh, flea markets. And as I said, I continue to do it today. Now, I know what you mean, because I just recently moved here and furnished my apartment, and I got a really awesome chair from the Habitat for Humanity store that I don't know how I would have found it any other way. So, Erin, let me ask you, did you grow up thrifting as well? I did. You know, my mom is has always loved a deal. She's always loved thrifting. I'm also the youngest of three children, so you get lots of secondhand clothes when you're growing mm-hmm. up like that. Mm-hmm. So. Um, it's always been a part of my life too. I mean, even fresh out of college, I'm making $25,000 a year, just trying to pay off student loans, get started in my new job. I furnished my whole apartment with things from Goodwill, um, and, and resale stores. And, and it's, it's a really great way, like Anita said, to get the most bang for your buck. I want to ask you both, does thrifting and finding deals, does that become addictive? Anita. Oh, yeah, you're asking the right person right now. <laughs> it It is so addictive. Um, but uh, I'm trying to have some balance as I am uh, approaching 58 years old. I'm trying to get it together uh, because I did become a hoarder. And mm-hmm. I don't mind telling uh, your audience uh, you have to really be careful about it because you'll find yourself getting things that that you don't need and they're just overlap and overlap and overtake your whole uh, residential area. You'll find yourself uh, getting storage units. People get storage units all the time of the hope of reselling. And I've been there, done that. Erin, can you relate? Yeah, I I mean, I definitely agree. It can be addicting. Um, You find those little treasures throughout a thrift store and and we call them Easter eggs even as you know, you can find a really great designer piece or something new with tags and it. It is the thrill of the hunt for myself for so many of our customers. Um, So it it is a ton of fun. But I agree, Anita, it can definitely be a slippery slope. Now, Aaron, you talked about the thrill of the hunt. Is that the thing you love? I mean, what is it about the thrifting lifestyle that just has you so steep in it, steeped deeply in it? For me, it is the thrill of the hunt. It's also, um, when I think about Goodwill specifically, the amount of good that we do in the community, helping people find jobs. And, and we're talking about folks who have barriers to employment, so disabilities, Maybe they were previously incarcerated, um, struggling with addiction, or maybe they're just, you know, at a dead end with their career and they want to make a fresh start. Um, To me, knowing that my money is going to fuel something like that really means a lot. Um, But then at the same time, there is that thrill of the hunt. I love um, just taking a Saturday, going and sifting through different things. You just, you truly never know what you're going to find. Um, And you're giving those items a second life. So it's also very sustainable. Now, Anita, you use your thrifting skills to help others. Talk to to me about that. Yes. Um, As a part of ministry, um, I realized that uh, this is the type of finds that I would find. I would find the pretty trees that go into your home, uh, artwork that goes on the wall, drapes and linen and I was people would always compliment my home and you know I I wanted to share that and so uh I've decorated many people's home um before um I've opened up several stores and two of which were thrift stores 
in the Nashville area. You was talking earlier about Gallatin Road. Uh, one of my stores um, was called um, Pass It On Variety and Thrift Store long before they was pinning Pass It On. Mm -hmm. <laughs> and so, and one of the concepts of that is to pass something along to somebody else is is just a ministry within itself. And so, yeah, I just, um, you know, I hope I answered that question pretty good. Yeah, you did. I, I, but I want to know, like, did someone ever come to you and say, Anita, your house is so beautiful. Help me make my place look good. What did you do? What are your secrets? Do people come to you often as that resource? Well, not anymore because um, I am uh, fighting this hoarding condition. Uh, I took sick some years ago and got out of the business of actually having a shop. And so I found myself with just overlapping so much stuff. And so I started donating. Um, so I give to local charities. I give to the mission. Uh, sometimes I'll just pull up on the side of the road and uh, go uh, where ladies that are homeless. I just give, just give, give, give. But yeah, uh, they used to ask me a lot uh, to come and help them, but um, some things have hindered me, but I'm still in the business, and I'm still in the business of helping, helping people as much as I can. That's beautiful. Thank you. If you're just joining us, I'm Khalil e. Colonna, and this is Nashville. We are diving into the world of thrifting and vintage with people who know exactly how to find some great deals. So, Aaron, you are social media and digital digital media manor, manager at Goodwill, which means you interact daily with dozens of people online, style influencers, and bloggers. What has this taught you about the local thrifting culture? Uh, you're absolutely correct. We have an amazing community of thrifters here in Nashville. It's it's truly awesome to see. Um, and, and really, they use their social media platforms specifically for sharing their finds, how they're styling them. So this could be fashion or home decor. Um, but we also have folks who are resellers and they're sharing those Easter eggs that they find, like I mentioned. Um, so this could be everything from like a new with tag Lily Pulitzer dress to an awesome patio set. And, and just seeing them so excited to share these finds and say, I only spent $20 on all of this, it really has helped that community to grow. And even to the point where a lot of these folks are friends online and offline, they thrift together, they, you know, go to their favorite stores together, they share their thrifting tips. And it's, it's very cool to see, you know, we're, we're very fortunate to have such a supportive community here in Middle Tennessee. We're going to dig into this a little bit more later in the show, but how many of these people who have these Easter eggs you're mentioning, how many of them are vintage resellers? I would say we have a, a large majority of these folks that are resellers. Um, and I will also tell you during the pandemic, we saw a definite uptick in reselling. If you think about Nashville specifically, we are so in, ingrained in the music community, the entertainment community, the hospitality community. A lot of those folks had job insecurity um, or they were out of jobs, unfortunately. And so they started reselling as a means of extra income. And it can be a very lucrative way to make a living um, if you have the time and the, you know, the resources to dedicate to it. So I would say a lot of those vintage um, seekers that come into our stores, um, either they just 
want a really cool piece to add to their wardrobe, or they are a reseller, or sometimes a combination. So, you know, if people are buying from Goodwill and they're flipping it, why doesn't Goodwill try to get that money? Um, you know, to us, we have, again, such a fortunate position of having so many folks donating to us on a daily basis. We have donation sites all over Middle Tennessee. Um, again, a huge uptick in donations during the pandemic because people were stuck in their houses. They were cleaning out drawers, closets. Um, so they were bringing us those items. And our biggest mission here is to be the best stewards of those items that are entrusted to us. Um, the sales of those items are then fueling our nonprofit mission. We're helping provide free job training and placement programs to people in need. So it's truly um, like a nice little ecosystem that we've built where we can help people, you know, declutter their homes and have a sustainable outlet to get rid of items they no longer want or need. And at the same time, we're helping people find confidence and purpose through meaningful employment. So it, it's really a beautiful thing. Now, the environmental impact of thrifting, the carbon footprint of the fashion and clothing industries, very, very large. So, Anita, talk to me about how that influences you. The fat, With the fashion industry? Mm-hmm. Um, <laughs> I used to be one of the sharpest dressed women in church, <laughs> um, business attire, and I just, uh, uh, in 2009, I was homeless in the streets of Nashville and uh, going through a domestic violence situation at, and uh, housed at a local shelter and reduced to two bags of clothing that you could get in a Kroger bag. And I realized then more than ever, I said, hey, I don't need a lot of, uh, of stuff. And what I need when I started uh, regaining my wardrobe and buying again was nothing but the goodwill. I refused to hardly go into any retail store, um, the Goodwill, the flea market, you can find everything you need and more. And for a, a, um, a nominal uh, price that, that you could save. So if you can save and cut your price um, that you buy something for 70%, that 70% can go towards something else. And as we see what COVID has done uh, for the world, I think this is a, a good time to get thrifty if you're not thrifty talk to me about that Aaron you know here and Anita just mentioned that through the situation in life she decided to strictly strictly from here on out strictly. if I'm right you're you're just buying thrift thrift stuff yes. you know and how that impacts this the fashion industry so many clothes are produced and purchased you can go to shopping malls and we see constant constant season changing and clothes what is the impact of thrifting on our global climate? Uh, the, the impact can be monumental, quite frankly. Fast fashion is so, so, so bad for our environment. Um, more and more people are kind of awakening up to that fact and totally shifting how they shop. So seeking out secondhand items first before going to a big box retail store or a mall or even shopping online. Um, you know, the amount of water that's saved, the amount of, of pollution that is saved, it's, it's truly, um, it, it's kind of overwhelming when you really dig into more of the numbers. And I mean, I know last year alone, Goodwill diverted 25 million pounds 
of useful items from a landfill. And that was just in Middle Tennessee, just in the 48 counties that we serve. Wow. So think about how there are Goodwills and other thrift stores and people reselling all over the country. Um, you know, it, it is definitely on the rise, but if more people did it, that, that impact to the environment um, and, and kind of cleaning up our act would be much greater. I want to come back to affordability. You know, we were talking about that a little bit earlier. Anita, you thrifted out of necessity, but from your perspective, is secondhand affordable in Nashville these days? Oh, we, um, now, uh, Aaron, hi. Uh, I worked for the Goodwill (laughs) Um, at one point in life, and there were things in there that I couldn't afford, not to uh, cast a shadow on that, but when you're talking about versus retail and secondhand is still a good price, but it's some things are just not affordable even to people that are dealing with some poverty issues because jeans are $24 and some, not not the Goodwill, I hadn't ran into that issue, but some other uh, thrifty stores that I won't mention the name, uh, $24 and $35 and what have you. People that want nice quality stuff can you know, if they're on a budget, they're on a budget. They have X amount of dollars, and to go into the store, they still have to pick and choose. And that, but the, one of the greatest things about most of the thrift stores uh, in and around Nashville is they have uh, special days. They have Senior Day. They have Teacher Day. They have Blue Tag Day, Yellow Tag Day. And so you just have to, you know, budget and go in there and you're going to find something. It may not be what you want, but you'll find what you need. Aaron, do you think I'd like for you to respond to that? Do you think that it's affordable or even more difficult for people? I think to Anita's point, um, there are so many opportunities to save on prices that are already low in a thrift store. Uh, Like she mentioned, and Goodwill's included in this, we offer 50% off every single day of the week when you shop our color tag of the week. And so that changes. It's on a constant rotation. It changes every Sunday. We announce those colors um, on our website, on social media. Again, that's another like thrill of the hunt uh, Easter egg component because people get so excited to find those color tags. And then even on Sundays, we offer 99 cent items. So you can you can really save a lot of money um, if, if you are smart about it, if you take the time to really go into a thrift store and look. But, you know, our retail associates are working really hard to make sure that all of our items are priced in a way that is a consistently great deal for our customers, because that's really what we want to provide. We want to be attainable. We want to be very affordable. We want them to find awesome deals on things that they want or need. Um, At the same time, maximizing, like I said, the return on those items that are entrusted to us and making sure we can keep fueling our nonprofit mission. Um, So it's definitely a balancing act, but we work really hard to be very affordable for the masses. We're about to take a quick break, but I want to ask you both. Is there a sense of community among thrifters, Anita? Oh, oh yes. (laughs) Oh, yes. There's a meet and greet place uh, in a lot of places uh, that people regularly come out and they shop. There are some people that shop every day. The stores are open Hmm. and they know the kids. They bring their families in. Uh, they share the great finds that they uh, have found. Uh, uh, I'm sporting a red 
purse today that I got at the Goodwill. I think I got it for like three bucks. And I'm like, okay, you know, that's my pretty red purse. And so, yeah, that it, there is community. And and people people generally care. Uh, it's, it's something about it. It's almost like a family structure. Even when I worked at the Goodwill, it was uh, just a family structure. So people care. People care. Aaron? I agree with you completely, Anita. We have customers who are regulars. They come in multiple times a week, whether or not they're resellers. Um, they just they have their favorite stores and they know our employees. We know them. We know their kids. Like we see their mm -hmm. kids grow up. It's really a beautiful thing. Um, and then you add into that aspect of like the fashion lovers and and people just really wanting to show off their Goodwill finds and see what what cool tips and tricks they can share for thrifting. Uh, there is a definite community there, and it's very, very cool to watch. That is Aaron Gabriel with Goodwill Middle Tennessee. Aaron, thank you for joining us. Master, thank you. Master thrifter Anita Smith mm -hmm. is going to stick around with us through the break. I'm excited about that. We are stepping away for just a moment. When we come back, we'll take a look into the growing world of vintage clothing and talk with some shop owners. Stick around. This is Nashville. It's a busy Thursday afternoon at the Goodwill in Cockrell Bend. So right now we got people ripping and roaring through boxes of clothes. That's Matthew Burdine. He goes by Breezy. He comes here multiple times a week to wait for fresh boxes of goods to hit the floor. I wish they had like a hot and ready sign, you know, out front like Krispy Kreme does, because then you could just drive by the highway and be like, oh, cool, they're going to put some fresh stuff out. Awesome, I'll roll in. Because sometimes you can be sitting here for a few hours and, you know, it's nothing. Like I said, it's like fishing. Some days you catch something, some days you don't. As it is, he often spends hours waiting for the next rotation and sifting through the boxes. But it's paid by the pound, so it's worth it. Breezy is a reseller. Some people are looking for name brand stuff. Some people are looking for the vintage stuff. Um, we got a few entrepreneurs in here. Uh, they do their thing and, you know, they're just going to town. They're just, you know, you try to be cordial to the person next to you, but also like, it's kind of like the jungle where you kind of have to like stand your ground in some ways, you know. Sometimes people get a little too, too overwhelmed. Sometimes people get a little too aggressive and you gotta kind of let them know like, hey, back up, you know, you're invading my space, so. On the whole, Breezy says there's a real sense of community here between the resellers like himself and the Goodwill employees. I mean, you're seeing these people every day. I like to think like, you know, with the people that actually work here and get paid by the Goodwill to work here, like they're no different than the people that are coming in here and trying to work and build a business. You know, I see everybody as coworkers, so it's like, you know, you put out a little bit of kindness, sometimes you get some back, you know. It's just like try to make it work for everybody, try to help out where you can, and try to be kind and hope for the best. Welcome back to This is Nashville. I'm your host, Khalil Colonna. Today, we are talking about the thrift and vintage scene here in Nashville. While thrifting is thought to be accessible to everyone, vintage clothing has become a lot more expensive and exclusive. 
Now we're going to get into more into the business of side of this, and we're going to talk reselling. So joining me are Tammy Pope of Live True Vintage and Justin Allman from Music City Vintage. I'd like to welcome both of you to the show, and I want to start with what we just heard: resellers hitting the bins at Goodwill. Tammy, does that bring back memories? Uh, yes, to about Monday of last week. <laughs> <laughs> I actually know Breezy. I was surprised to hear him on here. Um, I'm kind of a regular out there when I can. I love to pick, so um, the bins are just a natural time killer. <laughs> <laughs> I love it. Justin, what about you? Yes, absolutely. Um, that's where we started out um, during our business, uh, kind of just collecting as a whole. Um, I, we know Breezy as well, so it is funny that we said it, but um, yeah, that's where we started as well. Dare I say that Breezy is the most popular thrifter <laughs> In Nashville, possibly. Now, uh, Anita Smith is still with us. And Anita, as we were listening to Breezy, I saw you nodding your head when he was talking about the bins. So has it ever become hectic or uncomfortable when a lot of people are hitting the bins when that hot and ready sign is up? Yes, yes, yes. I was shaking my head because I could picture that being in the midst of all the chaos. Um, usually on a typical day it goes well, but there are rules to it. You can't start looking until they say start looking. And you got people that want to peek and stick their hand in the bins, but they usually have law and order there. But uh, it, it can get hectic because there's some great finds in those bins. I mean, you never know what you're going to find. I mean, it, it it is the East Egg Hunt, as the previous uh, in a uh, person that you interviewed uh, uh, with Goodwill said, it is it is a find. So there's no elbows flying. I have seen altercation. <laughs> really? I have seen alter witness altercation over having uh, a shopping cart because they're one of the things that a lot of times they run out of is shopping carts because they fill those shopping carts with what they pull out of the bin. So it, one shopping cart from one customer may have 60 pair of shoes in it. Well, they need another shopping cart and another shopping cart, so they even have their children hold on to the shopping carts. Wow. So, But if you go in there, you need a shopping cart, it could get crazy. Okay. Yeah, but they, they usually hold it down. The, the Goodwill employees hold it down. <laughs> <laughs> now, Tammy, I hear you laughing. Have you seen that too? I've probably been on both ends of that. It gets <laughs> wild out there. Um, I think of myself as more the catfish type, though. I like to just let it all die down and see what's left. Okay. Okay, now, what was it? What was the vintage market like when you got started? Um, it was probably about 10 years ago, so it's changed quite a bit. Um, the uh, demand for different products, that's one. You know, things that were a uh, thing. Ten years ago, I think vintage is a relative term. It means different things to different age groups, and so things that weren't necessarily selling ten years ago are super hot right now. Mm. Um, prices, of course, you know, with the popularity, the internet, Poshmark, Depop, things like that, and as the current uh, uh, guest was saying, with the um, you know COVID and everything, uh, there was a need for a lot of people to supplement their income, so. Uh, the rising cost of sourcing, the demand for, you know, product, it's all, it's all factors. Now, was opening up your shop, Live True Vintage, was that difficult? 
it was an accident, to tell you the truth. Really? <laughs> I quit a job. I'd been at a job for 17 years, and it was just soul-sucking. And I figured if I was miserable, I could be miserable anywhere. And if I was working-class poor, I couldn't do much worse if I, <laughs> you know, just selling what I could. And so um, I actually started uh, with a little bus that I rat-rotted um, at the flea market, the Nashville flea market, when there was probably only a handful of dealers out there then, maybe five to ten of us. Um, that's changed, obviously. You go out there now, and there's so much great vintage. Um, so, yeah, it's changed a lot in just the short time that I've been doing it. That's why I like to call a happy accident. Now, Justin, what inspired you to open up a vintage clothing store? Uh, basically from a long time of collecting. Um, we started about the same time, uh, about 10 years ago, just collecting hats and apparel. Um, so eventually we hit the point where uh, we just had way too much stuff in our one bedroom uh, house. <laughs> um, so we basically started selling flea markets and things of that nature and just kind of grew the business uh, slowly but surely um, and just acquired more and more vintage and we're lucky enough to open up a storefront. So it was a long time passion of collecting um, and it just turned into a business. Tell us more about Music City Vintage. So think of us like the pawn shop of vintage apparel and shoes. So basically we do buy, sell and trade. Um, so people bring us gear. Um, many of the people who go to the blue, uh, blue bins um, shop with us and sell to us. Um, but we sell anything from 80s to 90s apparel um, as long, along with shoes as well. Now, I want to, I have a question. I want to know why the prices at some vintage shops are so high. I mean, and who is excluded from the game with these exorbitant prices? Can you talk to that a little bit, Justin? So with everything, right, with vintage and with this experience that we've had, you never know what you'll find. Um, there's so many things that come into the store every day that you've never, I've never seen before. Um, so that with that adds a little bit of exclusivity in these one-of-one -one products where um, some pieces might have a higher price point than others. Um, but it all depends on the community and, and your market. Um, something that sells here for $200 may sell for $500 in Atlanta. Um, it just depends on what's the market and the community aspect of it. I mean, wow, $200 is a lot to me, but people have called me cheap before. Now, do you feel like there's a tension between the vintage world and the thrifting world, Anita? Uh, I, I do think there's a little tension um, because people that are out to find great vintage stuff, uh, a lot of times they have their mind made up. That you can't sell them a cup and a saucer. Uh, they're not looking for purses. They open up the purses. Uh, let me retract that. They open up the purses. They're looking at labels. They're looking at labels on the jeans and the coats and what have you. And uh, so they, they're there's a, a market that they're strategically looking for uh, versus uh, just regular flea marketing and and uh, Salvation Armies and Goodwills. Um, it's a whole different class of people. Tammy, have you seen that tension? Um, I hear people complain about different things, but to be honest, I try to just run my own race. Um, I'm in a unique position uh, where it's just a family-run business, so I source myself, you know, take care of the shop myself. I don't have that markup of employees. I'm able to offer things a little bit differently. Um, 
you know, what somebody else does with their business and why they're doing it and how they source and what they've had to pay for that. I just figure, you know, I know what I would and wouldn't pay, um, but there are different markets and, um, you know, customers that uh, are looking for different, some people don't care what they pay. <laughs> they just want to walk in, find a bad beep shirt, you know, and drop a card and it's not important to them. And others, you know, they want something nice and they can't drop 200 bucks. You know, it's a car note for some people. So, you know, it's a, there's a significant difference in price um, between a lot of the shops, but I don't think it's really, for me, I, I try not to really care what anybody else is up to. With their place. <laughs> I'm Khalil Ekolona, and this is Nashville. This hour is all about the thrift and vintage scene in town. We're visiting now with a few local shop owners. Mark Davis is another reseller we met at Goodwill in Cockville Bend. He started reselling when his construction work started slowing down to supplement his income. And I and I do it like I said after from from twelve to one. If I was here and did it, and I still I have another uh, project management on, um, remote job too, so I do that. But if I were to do this nine to five, and it, we watch videos, he sent me videos all the time of people making hundred thousand dollars doing this stuff. You know what I mean? So, but like I said, it is a hustle. It's not you know you can't do it you know thirty minutes. You, you know you walk in here for thirty minutes, you're not gonna find much. So you just have to, you know, it's a lot of it's luck, but you got to be here to get lucky. It's like I said, if you're not here, you're not going to get lucky. So Mark says there's a lot of luck involved. Justin, do you agree? Absolutely. Absolutely. Because you never know what you can find there. Uh, one day you might, you know, have a find just a Titan's tea. The next day you might find something from Grateful Dead. So um, there's plenty of time and devotion uh, that people have to do. Uh, each and every day just to make a living. Uh, many of these individuals are full-time um, at the Blue Bins and at Goodwill. Um, and, you know, some days they're lucky, some days they're not. So, Tammy, do you feel like luck is involved as well? Well, sure. I mean, if you're at a place at the right time when they put something out. But I think there's a lot of skill involved, too. Um, only because I've been so fortunate speaking of the bins, to find so many things that are just right there out in the open with, you know, and, and of course everybody's not looking for the same thing, but knowing your textures, um, hues, you know, fabrics, uh, what reds they didn't use past 1960, whatever, you know, that things that pop out like that to somebody to do. So there's, there's a lot of skill involved too. I used to wait in front of a Goodwill when they would bring out records on Tuesday. I love to collect vinyl. Oh, and I would always wait for those bins so they knew to keep some things aside for me. But, Justin, I want to jump to you real quick. Your shop is located in East Nashville, and it was destroyed by the tornado back in 2020. What did you do to bring your business back? A lot of support from the community, honestly. Um, of course, during that time, uh, probably about 70% of our inventory was gone from the tornado. Um, so we've we had a lot of help from the community, uh, GoFundMe, of course. And uh, luckily, we were able to scavenge around and uh, pull some apparels to sell again. Um, but really, it just was a lot of help from the community. And luckily, we found a good place um, to start once again. And um, we had, of course, People from the Blue Bins sell us product during our downtime. Um, so luckily we were able to build up this new one and uh, we're very fortunate to have it. Last question I'd like to ask to all of you. It seems like thrifting and vintage is huge 
here in Nashville. So what does it mean to our city and community? Anita, you go first. It brings people together on uh, the same level, the same level um, where they meet. They look forward to the yard sales. They look forward to the vintage stores. They look forward to the Goodwills. And it it's uh, almost like um, in most households that th- this is a tradition. And I don't see it going anywhere. I see it increasing. I, I see that uh, there are going to be more consignment stores, more thrifts, thrifty places um because like right now there there are pawn stores actual pawn stores but this is a whole new twist there's a whole new market of people that are looking to save looking for great quality stuff and looking to save and by any means necessary justin what's the significance of having vintage and thrifting scenes here in nashville it's significant. I mean, Nashville has grown as a whole in the past 10 years. And um, one of the hugest aspects of it is the Ventures community. Um, there's so many people who have dedicated their time, especially during COVID, um, to making it their full-time job. So um, I think people are always going to want that one-of-a-kind thing that you can't find like anywhere else. Um, so I continue to see it grow uh, significantly, especially within the Nashville community. So it's great people around and uh, people are great at doing it. So I think it'll just continue to grow. Tammy, close us out. Well, I have to agree with both of them. It's the amazing sense of community, like uh, between resellers, dealers, whatever, in the Nashville area. I've just met some amazing people in the 10 years of doing this. Um, Customers are friends. We've seen their kids grow up. You know, other sellers are, you get that 2 a.m. like text, ah, I'm losing my mind over this or whatever. So great friends and family. This is a community. That's wonderful. Absolutely wonderful. That is Tammy Pope. She was joined by Justin Allman and Anita Smith. Thanks to you all for joining us. I can tell you this, everybody. I can see the smile on Anita's face, and I can hear the smiles on all of our guests' faces. So the next time you go thrifting or vintage shopping, just know these are good, good people. We want to thank everyone who joined us this hour. This is Nashville is a production of WPLN News and Nashville Public Radio. Listen back to this episode at thisisnashville.org or wherever you get your podcasts. Our producers are Steve Harouche, Rose Gilbert, and Tasha A.F. Lemley. Our digital lead is Anna Gallegos-Cannon. Michaela Elias is our technical director. Our executive producer is Andrea Tudhope. The masterminds behind our theme are Lorange and Namir Blade. The conversation does not end here. Tweet us at This Is Nashville. Find us on Facebook and Instagram and tell us what you want from our show by filling out our quick survey online. This is Nashville. I'm Khalil E. Colonna. We'll see you tomorrow, everybody. And be good to each other. Be really good to each other.